Trading at episode 253. With the B-Book model, you essentially can make up your own conditions. You can put all your spreads down to zero. You can give people instant execution. Or on the other side, you can turn the slippage dial and delay execution. So there are all these nasty activities and tools that brokers use. So the A-Book model, you, you basically connect to another broker. Correct. Giving you a feed. Now, could that broker be a B-Book broker? So another true telling sign of an A-Book broker is that there is always an inherent amount of you can have someone like a Navsaro who comes in and spoofs the market. What he did was he put 30 or 40,000 orders into the market to sell the S&P 500. Those never executed because he pulled them right at the last second. But what happened was the market saw those orders coming in and automatically kicked everyone's algorithms to short the market. What he did as soon as the market dropped, he bought it and made huge amounts of money. So that's called market spoofing. You do in the broker startup space have a lot of scams as well. So it's important to note that, especially in the unregulated space, so the difference between that unregulated structure and a regulated structure is that have you ever had it like, uh, I mean, at Blackpool maybe, or just experience in general where the spreads widen significantly and it's not just a news event, it's just a random sort of like uncontrolled event yes, where spreads gone, sure. gone up 25 pips for no reason. What would be that, the reason behind that? Generally, they're fat fingers. You'd get an occurrence maybe once every couple of months where someone at a bank, instead of pushing, you know, 1 million, they push 1 billion, for example. Right. Just talking about that rollover, I mean, what about the yeah. high spread time that happens after that? I mean, can you explain that? Is it just yeah. because... It's too easy to trade those opens or? No, I mean, so what happens is banks actually. Right, so we welcome Anish Lal to the show today from Black Bull Markets. He uh, is one of the directors over there. He's got tons of years in the Forex brokerage space, and you guys are going to get to tap into all of that in the next hour. So we go into everything, talking about A book, B book brokers. Uh, we even go to prop firms. We go into liquidity providers, spreads, slippage, all that kind of stuff. Uh, what you need to watch out for so you're not scammed and everything else to set up your own Forex broker firm. So folks, that's coming up. It's an amazing interview. It's a must listen to for every single trader out there. Now, other things going on here, we've got the uh, mystery trader hitting the Telegram channel. We're having a great winning streak. So go and check that out if you haven't already. We've also got the live streamers hitting London and New York. So make sure you subscribe to the YouTube for that. And we've got the uh, Blue Guardian Challenge being taken by a few traders, including myself, so if you want a 10% off coupon, remember you can get that uh, using the link below this video or in the podcast description. And whilst you're talking about, we're talking about offers, remember you've got the Trader Keys Plus Merch Pack, 10 giving, being given away by Black Bull Markets, my sponsor and who Anish works for as well. So that's all uh, available with that trading nut, unique trading nut link below the video. And you do get that deposit bonus as well if you're trading on the MT4 and MT5 platforms with Black Bull all right, folks, enough from me. Uh, let's dive into the show with Anish. Our sponsor, Blue Guardian, is the only prop firm that gives their traders a tool to protect them from hitting their max daily loss and overtrading. It's super simple to use. Just set the Guardian protector each day from your dashboard. Did you also know that they've just released an unlimited time evaluation with a zero trading days requirement, giving you plenty of time to hit their low 8 and 4% targets, making it super fast to get funded. Plus, it's cheaper than the 40-day time limit evaluation. Check out the link and coupon in the description to get 10% off your next Blue Guardian evaluation. All right, folks, here we are on Trading Up with Anish Lal here in the house all the way up there in Auckland, New Zealand. So finally, somebody else in the same country now. Uh, he is the one of the directors at Black Bull Markets, who are also a sponsor of the show. Welcome to Trading Up, Anish. Thank you, Cam. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show. 
Yeah, well, look, it's it's um, good to hear, get you on the screen. I know we met in person last week, uh, and today you're basically going to break down how you can set up your own brokerage firm. So what it takes to do that, we're going to touch on um, the broker relationship with prop firms. We're also going to touch on what um, is or how retail traders, well, some things retail traders may not know about uh, how brokers work and some of the things they or decisions they make in the background, which will affect their trades. So to start off with an issue, I mean, do you want to give us like uh, all the listeners an overview as to how you got into um, the brokerage space and I suppose a bit about your history and, and knowledge to date? Yeah, that, thank you very much. Um, I've actually been in the industry on the broker space since 2011 so going on to 12 years now um started off uh, working actually with binary options way back when binary options were just starting out and then quickly learned that it was um definitely pretty sketchy and then uh, worked with some uh, some uh some professionals from the banking and investment banking world uh, to set up a, a white label broker. So we were actually um, one of the first white labels for a company called Ducas Copy Bank, who are based in Switzerland. And um, they used back in the day the, the JForex platform. And we started a broker, an FCA regulated broker in the UK, 2012, uh, launched in 2013, August. Um, for for that so i was heavily involved in uh understanding the regulatory requirements at that time which of course 10 years ago now have changed dramatically um but at, at that time um to set set up what was required uh, within the uk regulatory environment the company set up the uh, banking set up uh, compliance landscape and dealing with liquidity providers so from a very early stage in my career had some interesting exposure to all those aspects following that of course you're you're heavily involved in what it takes to build a broker from pretty much scratch uh, and the costs involved with that so over the last over the uh, course of those three years i was involved in that and through that three years um, initial part of my career i helped a number of other brokers to get set up as well so we would offer uh, we got to a stage at that point when we had our own server and by having your own server you could offer at that time uh, white labels and uh, we had quite a lot of interest from people around the world looking to set up white labels and ironically blackball was one of the brokers at that time so a year later yeah we assisted with the uh, uh, liquidity relationships and then i came full circle a couple of years later <laughs> but uh, after the the initial a broker that we set up. Um, I joined uh, ADS Securities in London. And again, through that, uh, had quite a lot of exposure to uh, how liquidity works, uh, execution at the top end, dealing with uh, investment bank counterparties, uh, a lot of uh, uh, dealing, I guess, on the risk exposure. So quite a lot of well-rounded um i guess a 360 uh, base of knowledge for the brokerage world and um over the last seven years been fully involved in um the growth of uh blackball markets as well here so that's probably myself in a nutshell and uh i guess through that entire 
uh, 10-12 year space been able to pick up quite a lot of uh, valuable knowledge points so for people that are are now looking to set up their own or look at even just the idea of setting up their own brokers if they can use this this bit of content um to learn from yeah brilliant brilliant i mean it's it's going to be really interesting to find out like not just uh, how you set that up but uh, some of the other aspects along the along the way like you know, liquidity providers, how do they work? Uh, yeah. And in, in, in conjunction with the broker and the price feed that everyone gets, that that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, to start off with, uh, I suppose, who who would be the kind of person that would be looking to start up a, a, a brokerage firm in this day and age? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think what, what you find is that you start off, I guess everyone starts off with an interest in the financial markets. Then uh, more creative, influential people, especially in today's uh, age of uh, social scoring, I mean, uh, social media influencers who have large trading communities or introducing brokers, big affiliates who grow their audience over time, generally have, uh, you know, a an interest in pro- uh, progressing their 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 business development generally and how they can uh, use their influential power into a space of uh, marketing a product uh, brokerages is sometimes the ultimate goal because brokers you know even though they carry a huge element of risk uh, depending on how you run your business they can be quite uh, quite the profitable machine so uh, just as a benchmark right uh in 20 the years 2018 to 2022 ic markets were top 25 uh tax paying authority in australia so wow. just think of how big australia is as, a, as an yeah. economy with all their different industries and ic markets slotted right in there if you look at the but these are the you know your top tier brokers uh, IG Index is worth over a billion dollars. They've been you know, a publicly listed company, one of the uh, one of uh, I think in existence since the seventies uh, as a broker, and then they ventured into the CFD space. Were kind of pioneers in the spread betting world in the UK fifteen years ago, and uh, really made a name for themselves. Plus five hundred, also uh, venturing on a billion dollar valuation. Uh, same with CMC Markets, over half a billion dollars as well so there is that that golden um uh egg at the end of it but over the last 15 to 20 years there have been thousands and thousands of brokers that have entered into this space um if you go to a website called uh, 100forexbrokers.com it will give you pretty much a list of all the brokers in existence uh that have a license and i think the number ventures into two or three thousand so Wow. You're looking it's at lot. that many brokers that essentially are offering you the same product. So um as a as a as an end consumer. And, so and how co- many how many like clients or and or deposits do you th- uh, would somebody need to make it like I suppose a viable business model? Yeah, so the, looking at getting into it. That's quite difficult uh to answer because everyone would have their own cost base. I mean, if we start right at the beginning, if you're looking at a broker today's world just to break through the noise um you've got to look at who you're dealing with and the if you're wanting to offer an mt4 or mt5 platform your compliance uh 
check only goes through MetaQuotes. Now, if you've been following the MetaQuotes journey over the last two or three years, uh, two years specifically, uh, especially since uh, Russia has been in the spotlight and um, you know, MetaQuotes are a company based out in Cyprus. Mm. Uh, they've been in Cyprus for 20 years and they es- essentially have ultimate power there, They're the ultimate data provider, uh, a technology provider with huge amounts of data, but um, they had an issue with their app and um, they came under pretty heavy scrutiny uh, from the powers that be. I'm not too sure who those powers were, but they, they had a lot of... Um, issues with um, how they handled their compliance. So they had a huge, complete overhaul recently of um, changing their business model and how they offer their products and compliance. So as an example, brokers who had a St. Vincent license uh, are completely on the the blacklist now. Uh, Not only do you have to consider what is an acceptable company that you can incorporate in for MediQuote, but your payment providers and your banking relationships is the, the the next most important thing. It's all well and good incorporating your company in an offshore jurisdiction, uh, which has very little to no regulation. But uh, the reality is you will not be able to get a, a, a tier one bank account and uh, you won't be able to work with payment providers who, who can offer you Visa, MasterCard, uh, uh, you know, payment processing or even crypto processing, uh, you're pr- pretty much limited to very high risk processing partners. And generally what happens, you get waves of high risk processing partners who go bust. So your cl- a lot of brokers who start out, if they've started out by registering, um, I don't want to n- name, name names, but um, uh, we can name jurisdictions. You've got, uh, for example, well, St. Vincent being one. <laughs> um, you've got islands like uh, Vanuatu, which a lot of brokers have, have used. Um, uh, you've got uh, the Comoros Islands. You've got uh, the Maldives, uh, Mauritius. Uh, Mauritius, to, to its credit, has increased over time, but there are a lot of these um unique uh, luxury places where people look at registering in because the setup there is relatively low cost and um, you can get what's called a financial license that was considered appropriate for MetaQuotes to approve. Uh, But now uh, MetaQuotes pretty much turning the eye on that um, and payment processes won't allow you to integrate. Folks, Black Bull Markets have 10 merch packs to give away to clients who sign up before the end of the year, including one of these trader keys. So to go in the draw, all you need to do is sign up with the link below this video or in the podcast description, and you'll go in the draw to win. It's that simple. And remember, folks, when you sign up to Black Bull Markets through the trading nut link below, you're going to get a 100% deposit bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. All you need to do is click the link in the description below the video or the podcast. Right, so it's very difficult to so so what so I suppose going yeah. stepping back a step. So what um what would be step one in setting up a brokerage? Okay, so step one is to firstly look at. Okay, you get you have to have a business plan, um, and to be well researched. Uh, the idea is step one. Look at where you want to incorporate your business. Uh, it has to be a a, a respectable 
place and you've got to look at what regulatory requirements are are needed for that country you're incorporating it for example the seychelles the seychelles um uh the regulatory body there is the fsa um the idea is is to go directly to the source try and avoid third-party consultants that you'd find all over google uh, help me set up your broker or uh, you know you get so many of these um people that essentially just break down information that you can get right from the source so you'd want to go to the company registers of these uh, specific country say the seychelles um look at a company registration then look at what's required to have a financial license so the first step is to do your research and to pick a country that is not on the blacklist now how do you find what countries uh, are on the blacklist um there is a website called kycratings.com uh which we can you know put in the description if you like or or, or mm. yeah, yeah share with you but um there is a list of uh generally uh uh, countries that have strong AML and CFT requirements. What that means is the reason why payment processes, banking relation, uh, banking partners won't work with you if you're registered in a very boutique location is because of the AML strength of that particular country. AML's anti-money laundering and uh, CFT. So essentially, they're looking at uh, how strong is the country that you're working with. Now, if you're in I, we're, we're, we're going on the assumption of this last bit of chat on a, a very low cost setup. So low cost setup generally yeah. means registering of, offshore. Yeah. There is, of course, also the option to register, say, in tier one uh, jurisdictions like uh, a European jurisdictions, an Australasian jurisdiction, um, uh, or even a, a Middle Eastern jurisdiction now which is quite popular uh, yeah. so so that that is the i mean what we've been talking about is a, a low cost <laughs> solution but yeah so um you can also choose uh to to look at registering and incorporating uh in the in the uk for example or in australia and using asic so first step look at decide what your budget is um now, generally, if we're looking at cost, when I say low cost, uh, as an example, if you were looking to set up in the Maldives uh, or, or, or the Mauritius, as an example, you'd need to set up a company there. And not only do you need to set up a company, but you need to hire people on the ground. So generally, when you set up a company, you can hire um, a you'd need a compliance officer, you need a director. Um, the cost for that on an annual basis could start from uh, 20 to 30k USD just for your company setup. Mm. And then you're looking at a, a regulatory license, uh, which if you go directly to the regulator would probably be uh, between 10 to 15k uh, per annum, including reporting costs, uh, uh, re requirements for reporting, audit, etc. So that's your baseline cost for running your company in that uh, jurisdiction. Uh, and then you've got to look at um, getting a bank account through all that process and working with PSPs. It's your main thing to tick off. Um, and that's payment, ser payment service providers? Yes, exa yeah. exactly. So companies like um, PayPal, for example, they won't work with brokers. Um, so you've got to then look into merchants.
who had who would work with high risk processes. So um, that that's again part of the challenge. Uh, there are they're out there. There are companies and technology providers uh, that that can assist. Um, but yeah, that that's basically your first steps. And, and what, to me, to yeah. me, it sounds like I was going to say it sounds like um, it's kind of high risk to to try and do that if you're going to do it. And given the fact there is you know a blacklist, yeah, things have been added to the blacklist. You know, countries could be added to the blacklist. That you know, I mean. Most, you know, you, you sort of know that there's, I suppose, some solid countries around the world. Usually they've got, you know, currencies that are being traded in that. Yeah. But I suppose at any point in time, you know, if you go Maldives, that could be added to a blacklist for whatever reason. If you go with this uh, exactly. provider, that could be shut down for whatever reason. And then you've it's, got like these guys that you're paying, you know, every year. I mean, so that it's how would somebody navigate that? Or is it just one of these sort of risks that you need to take? Exactly. So it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a calculated risk that you're taking in order to secure your corporate structure. So first thing to look at is your corporate structure. You could have multiple corporate structures as your business grows and create multiple different entities um, that face perhaps a global entity. But we're talking about, again, through this, a low cost scenario. You've got the low cost, I would say, and you've got the top tier costs. And, um, the, the cost comparisons are huge. So uh, an FCA license, uh, you'd need probably £350,000 sitting on your balance sheet. Uh, and it probably cost you up to £100,000 to set up. So just as a reference point, that's the price points that you're dealing with for setup. Uh, and uh, and when we're talking about uh, FCA as an example, you've got filing costs, uh, you've got application costs, compliance, uh, legal costs, uh, all of that involved, and and it's a, a lot more stringent. Uh, so, but if we go down the loss, low cost route, um, once you've got your corporate entity set up, uh, say you've then got to uh, look at setting up um, your website and your portal. And uh, now there are providers out there that provide you kind of like an all-in-one solution. So um, I'm sure you can find them online. There's quite a lot of them. Um, but Or if you go to some of these expos around the world, the IFX expos, they would have booths and stands and they're actually all service providers that provide a service uh, that, that would assist you from once your entity set up, setting up your portal, um, finding your liquidity providers, etc. But... Um, the main next step is getting a brand ready. Uh, you've got to find a, you know, find a find a name, find a brand identity, and build some content on your website. Once your website's done, you find a client portal. Now, you can either build your own client portal. When we're talking about client portal, it's a, the backend technology that clients will use to fund their accounts, to withdraw a secure area. Um, just as a reference point, we we built our own technology, but we've come. Uh, you know, over a period of time to get to that stage. At the beginning, if you're going for a low cost model, uh, you'd want to uh, use a third party technology provider. And there is an element of risk there as well, because, you know, you're sharing your data with, with someone else, um, but you're hoping for trust, you're hoping for confidentiality. So those client portals could range anywhere from $3,000 to $5,000 a month, just just to pay those technology provider costs. 
But through that, you have a portal that you can integrate in your website, clients can use and connect into their platforms and API and their, their account information. Once that's all done, you need to then approach MetaQuotes <laughs> and, um, and apply for a, a, essentially a license. Now, at this point of time, MetaQuotes have two options. They have um, uh, what's called, a, uh, I believe, a white label solution and a main label solution. So they've gone are the days where you can actually purchase your own server. So they've moved away from that model and now they're charging you up to a, a certain number of accounts. So their tiered system essentially starts from about seven and a half thousand US dollars a month. Really? Uh, yeah, which is quite expensive yeah. considering it was two thousand dollars a month for the platform mobile and web as a white label three years ago. So it's jumped up quite significantly. I think it's in response to the demand mm -hmm. and the additional compliance requirements. But it, essentially, um, $7,500 a month will get you up to 1,000 accounts. Now, if you're a broker, you can quickly exceed that. And then up to, I believe, uh, 5,000 or 10,000 accounts, you're looking at a fixed price of 10,000 a month. Then you've got an enterprise solution, which above that goes up to about 12 and a half to 15,000 pounds. Uh, sorry, we're talking about US dollars. Replace my numbers with US dollars yeah. per month. So if we add all of this up together, these are just your costs before starting your business. It, it can accumulate pretty heavily. So um, if we're looking at the company formation, your website creation, your portal creation, hiring even some support staff, uh, we got into that, and getting your MetaQuotes license, uh, you're looking at a, a, an annualized cost of anywhere in the range of 200,000 US dollars to 250,000 US dollars with a low cost setup. Mm. And um, and that's with, uh, you know, assuming uh, no marketing costs, uh, no other systems being plugged in, CRM, et cetera. Um, so th those are things that you have to consider before even starting. So the first decision to go back to your question now is do I have uh, a budget and to, to enough to to start that 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 we're talking about a minimum spend so you've got to need some capital um whether you're working with a team a business partner uh it, you've got to have some capital and industry know-how uh to start in this in this space yes it sounds like it is i mean i, I back in the day i just remember you know, because I've been, you know, using Forex brokers from since even earlier than when you started. I mean, it was like yeah. 2007, I think, or yeah, seven, eight. And back then, I remember somebody reached out to me and said, Hey, I can set you up with a broker. Yeah. It's only going to cost a thousand bucks. Yeah. And they were going to be able to set me up. And it was all like, and I'm like, I'm not interested. But I mean, that, that it's obviously things have moved on and yeah. there a, aren't as many brokers around. I know uh, New Zealand even had like, dozens and dozens of brokers here and then all of a sudden they cleaned they, the regulations yeah. changed and, and everyone left so That's right. it's got much much harder i mean uh, can do you want to touch on the ones that aren't using cash and are using crypto and how that works and the any differences there that you would see yeah i mean just firstly for uh, cash deposits is a complete no-no with any regulator however there are still 
some brokers that exist and we won't name names but in some parts of the world that you go up to their office with a bag of cash oh, right. put it you in your take... trading account right yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. okay you're right yeah so, so, so you uh, can't do it you can't even do a cash deposit now with, uh, with... i mean yeah given... it makes sense basic AML requirements yeah. that brokers have. You can get your bank account shut down very quickly. Um, you know, um, unless you have a, a team of staff that like to accept cash as salaries, there's no way else a broker can use that. As soon as you put that in your bank, you'll get questions yeah. now and you'll likely get a flag on your account. But crypto is, of course, has completely changed the game in the last five years for brokers because uh, they can now use that as a payment tool. Now, the regulatory space for accepting crypto deposits is quite gray around the whole world. So what that means is that brokers can now take advantage to access countries that have payment sanctions or, or you know, have more restrictive payment processing um, into brokers. Um, with their usual Visa MasterCard, they can now use crypto. Um, so it's, I would say it's been advantageous because it, it not only is it an instant transfer, it's, it's quite secure, very transparent. Um, the only thing now is how do regulators start to look at regulating that space in New Zealand, for example, uh, crypto in general is still on the blacklist, but it's, I think it's more of an understanding, uh, issue than, uh, than a policy issue right now because they're still trying to think of uh, AML and CFT policies that go behind it. For example, nowadays, I just saw a news story that you can walk into Ferrari in the UAE, buy a car in crypto, have it delivered the next day. Um, now, that works extremely well in the supercar space. I'm sure they have AML with mm. <laughs> CFT reporting requirements there. But I mean, for us as a brokerage, if we were to receive a million dollars in crypto, we've got to have some sort of idea of how that client generated uh, that million dollars. Mm. Um, so it's all well and good accepting uh, crypto deposits, but how is your compliance backing? Um, we're pretty stringent here where uh, anything over a certain threshold, uh, there has to be a trigger. And it's also a good sign of what broker you're dealing with. Uh, if they're asking you how you made your money, it shows you that they have a level of AML CFT requirements that their regular regulator has imposed. Um, essentially, they would get in trouble if they're accepting money from things that have been funding terrorism or you know drug money or anything that's quite shady. Yeah. Um, because as you know, or as we see, crypto is a space that also has a dark underbelly. Um, and it's quite difficult to pinpoint exactly uh, where uh, wallets are tracing and where money's coming from and the outflows due to wallets dispersing and going into multiple wallets at a time. So it's quite difficult to track where things are coming from. But we, we'd uh, like to have, I guess, a, as the crypto space and the whole blockchain uh, industry advances, um, I think there'll be a bit more transparency over it. Uh, mm. I guess that's the main issue brokers are facing at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I suppose I'm, I'm sort of thinking of the, the brokers that don't actually deal in any, um, that only deal in crypto. Yeah. And they're, you know, what you call a, or people would call an unregulated broker. Yeah. Uh, and they're probably set up in, in the, 
you know St Vincent or yeah. somewhere like that. So they managed to get around the regulation. Yeah, um, they they may not have got around meta quotes because they're obviously using meta quotes. They got crypto. They're, yeah. they're in an unregulated um, environment. They don't need to get the payment processor in place. I mean, what is what is a what would a landscape look like to start up that kind of broker? Okay, so process. essentially, you are you are taking on a level of risk because um, you'd you'd have to deal with either a shady uh, crypto exchange, um, you know, because you'd, you'd be accepting uh, deposits and you'd have to process withdrawals from your crypto wallet as well. Um, and and uh, not only that, it, you'd have to find a solution of how do you convert your crypto into cash or crypto into fiat. So there is also another part of that, uh, you know, I guess conundrum is, okay, it's all well and good accepting crypto and withdrawing by crypto, but how do I turn that into fiat? And then you've got to find someone else that will turn it into fiat for right. you. And that guy could be operating on the gray side of things and they might take a eight or 10% cut to give you the cash back. So um, there, there's definitely a, a risk involved in that. How do you set that up? But firstly, I guess now MetaQuotes' compliance uh, stringency increasing might be difficult for you to get past that line in today's day. But say, you know, five years ago, you could probably do it. Uh, you'd set up a St. Vincent company, little to low cost. Um, probably a fraction of what we talked about before. Uh, you'd get your your MetaQuotes white label license um, and you'd set up a, a crypto wallet. You'd give people the crypto wallet address, they'd deposit into that, or the clients would deposit into that crypto wallet address. And essentially you'd run your business that way. But how the longevity of that structure is heavily in question. Um, you do in the broker startup space have a lot of scams as well. So it's important to note that, especially in the unregulated space, generally there are people are looking just for a quick payday. You see a lot of brokers go bust. There's no way for clients to hold that broker accountable. There's no way to get your money back because there's no investor protection scheme. There's no accountability to any regulator, no way to see their office. There's no way to call that broker and contact them. It could just go wipe off the face of the planet. As you've seen, again, not to name names, but it was quite a big broker recently that had almost um, you know, half a billion dollars worth of client assets, mainly only accepted crypto, accepted clients from the US, accepted clients from Canada. Of course, in order to do that legally, uh, you have to be uh, NFA registered, um, etc. So they were operating in a very... Uh, gray to black zone where you're not yep. supposed to be in uh offering managed account services etc uh for unregulated money managers and um went kaputs one day after a pyramid scheme came in and attacked the business um so how do i find your if you're a, a client of that broker um uh, what do you do? You can't. You you can't do anything. And I'm sure there are people probably listening to this who might have had bad experiences in the past where they've lost money. Um, so, unlike, for example, Alpari in 2014 during the SNB crisis, as a as another example, of course, the Swiss uh, Swiss Bank February yeah. 2014 15 they removed the their peg against the um, against euro. You know, the currency moved about. 15% actually in on the Swiss franc and a lot of people got stuck uh, uh, or went into negative balances 
um uh but but what uh and and alpari uh went but went bust uh i believe yeah um so some people made money but how, how do you get that back well the fca they were fca regulated so the difference between that unregulated structure and a regulated structure is that you can then go through a process with the uh, ombudsman and the FCA to uh, get your money back because they'll protect you up to a certain amount. Mm. Uh, I believe fifty thousand pounds in the UK. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do remember that because I I did have some like I had a few dollars in there. I think it was seven dollars yeah, yeah. or something, or seven pounds. <laughs> and I remember they actually sent me all the details to get the money back and yeah. all this sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah. okay. oh, and I wasn't that interested in it. But yeah, um, okay, yeah. So that's that's interesting. I mean, talking about um, I suppose step two and, and sort of like that going you know the getting into the real nitty-gritty you've got meta quotes approved you've got uh your your sort of back end set up i mean what's what's the step after that yeah well then it's get to business how do you how do you look at you've got to look at firstly i guess what markets do you want to attack now you could go after everyone and spread your net far and wide the reality is it's quite difficult um my personal opinion would be to look at regions that you'd want to focus on um, and then look at a strategy for how to target them. Uh, you could, uh, if you're, for example, if you're um, from, just as throwing it out, if you're from Malaysia and you're setting up a broker based in Malaysia, regulated there, you might want to start with Malaysia as your home base. The idea is to build a base of clients. And the easiest way to do that is to target specific regions rather than multiple. Um, for a very, for a very new broker, it is quite difficult to attract clients because uh, your brand is quite new and, uh, generally brokers do well over time because their brand is, uh, their brand reputation is increasing over that period of time. Uh, the more, uh, lengthier you, you are have survived in this industry, the more likely you are to attract clients because I guess it's a telling sign that you've been around for a while. Uh, however, saying that every broker has to start somewhere. Uh, so the strategy would be to look at, uh, uh, look at investing in marketing. Um, when I say marketing, I mean, uh, you could do look at social media. Of course, you can look at doing events on the ground, uh, getting your name out, working with PR agencies to get your name out, uh, or working with, um, um, people in the influencer space, uh, to look at, um, marketing arrangement partnership arrangements with these types of people it is quite difficult um if unless you you uh, if you've come from the broker space and you have a loyal group of clients or partners that would also work with you in the future um that's also a way to kickstart it but essentially it's you know it's quite tough because you're in a saturated market and marketing you need to as well as looking at company costs well, we talked about that figure earlier, you've got to look at your marketing costs as well. And um, how much are you willing to spend to acquire clients? What is your cost per acquisition look like? So that's the next step. But actually, right even before that, when I, <laughs> oh, we can go after that, actually, is looking at your liquidity provider. Before you've even started to market your business, you've got to look at uh, setting up with an LP um, and choosing your decision. Now, the reality of this industry, I think it's, you know, it might as well cut through the BS. You've got your A book model and you've got your B book model. It's got to decide what type of broker do you want to be? Um, do you want to be an A book broker? 
meaning you you're you're not taking the risk on clients. Your everything is going to the provider that you're working with. Or do you want to be a B-Book broker, which means you internalize everything, which means every single trade that a client trade uh, places, you're essentially the opposite party to that. Now, uh, depending on if you're, say, an FCA regulated broker, you need a special license uh, to actually market make. So there are there is that regulatory aspect to that as well. Uh, and uh, th that does provide a level of transparency for clients. But say you wanted to go down the A-Book model, you need to go find a, a, a liquidity pro provider. That could be a broker like us, for example. Uh, that could be uh, you know, uh, another broker the, that you find and you generally contact them and you'd negotiate costs, you'd look at their pricing. The idea is, to, again, to do a, a period of research, broker to broker which has the best offering for you, the lowest cost. Um, now, uh, brokers would charge you a cost per million, which essentially means uh, 10 lots um, per site. So for example, a broker could say, hey, yeah, you can trade with me. Uh, you can send your, your flow to me, but I'm going to charge you $20 a million, which some LPs start with. $20 a million is basically four US dollars per lot. So that's your cost base yep. as a broker. That means now you have to decide what am I going to charge my clients as a commission? So depending on how much you want to make and considering your cost base, you've got to make those commercial decisions before that. Now that that's an A book model. Um, and then you've got your B book model where basically you, you, you'd need a, you need a pricing engine. So you'd still need to approach a broker to get pricing. And uh, brokers would have what's called a data subscription. So you'd only subscribe to their data. Uh, through this process as well, you need to uh, approach um, a bridge provider like a PrimeXM or a 1.0. Essentially, that bridge provider bridges their pricing and their tech from broker to broker. And that, again, has a cost involved. Your data subscription has a cost involved, etc. cetera. Uh, so the B-Book model, uh, would be, um, I guess, you know, more profit potentially, but huge amounts of risk. Um, and it could put you out of business straight away if you don't have enough capital. Um, with the B-Book model, uh, you essentially can make up your own conditions. Um, when you see brokers, you know, you can put all your spreads down to zero. Um, you can give people instant execution. Uh, or on the other side, you can turn the slippage dial and um you know delay execution so there are all these nasty activities that uh and tools that are yeah, that brokers use um on the b book model but um essentially once you've made a decision a book or b book you then proceed with your marketing so so the just on this so um just so, oh, like in my back of my mind i'm going so hang yeah. on a sec so the a book model you you basically connect to another broker correct your feed now could that broker be a b book broker uh potentially yes potentially right. they would be taking the other risk or they have a very sophisticated uh risk team uh where they risk manage the flow now um the important decision there is that you're facing a broker that has uh, that is well established or is essentially what's called a prime broker so you have prime brokers out there that 
only service is to provide liquidity to newer brokers setting up. Um, and they are well established in that space. Um, they would have, uh, you know, risk teams that would manage flow. They would work with the new broker setting up to help them understand uh, what type of flow is coming through. But as an ABUC model, you essentially have no conflict of interest with your clients. Um, you're, you're, you're looking to give clients the best possible outcomes. And once you've established one LP relationship, you can then have the, you then have the experience to establish more. So there's nothing stopping you as an ABUC broker from having multiple LPs on your other, uh, that you're facing. So, uh, during those negotiation discussions you've had, you can set up as many as you want, depending on how much you can pay for the data, uh, uh, in your right. budget yeah and so would you would you ever like go st- direct to a liquidity provider like somebody who wasn't uh i suppose a because i'm guessing there's somebody c- connecting to the essentially the banks i'm guessing no, the, exactly the, the, the currency. Yeah. So, so yeah would you ever go direct and, and how would you do that yeah so um you could go direct so now when you set up with a liquidity provider this also adds to your cost base and your budget, what you need to budget for. You need to put uh, X amount of margin down. So a lot of LPs have minimum margin requirements. What that means is uh, you've got to put, say, 100 grand down to get started. And you've got to keep that at all times as a capital you know, reserve in your account. Because essentially what you're doing is you're matching your client balances with your LP account. You've got to look at what leverage they offer you as well. So if they're offering you 100 to 1 and uh, you're offering your clients 500 to 1, you're essentially taking five times the risk. Um, right. So you, if you wanted to de-risk that completely, you would offer your clients 50 to 1 or 100 to 1. So you've got to look at all these, uh, the margin requirements side of things as well. It's quite complex. I know it's quite difficult to fit in all in, in, in an hour discussion, but um during this LP choice decision making, you've got to look at uh, all these variables, pricing, spreads, leverage, what are they offering you? And then you make your decision commercially for your business, how you want to set up your account types, your commission groups. Um, you go into your MetaTrader administrator server and you set up your commission groups accordingly, uh, as well as different currencies that you would want to offer. So... Um, it's quite uh it's definitely quite a lot to that whole setup process Mm. um if you're not experienced in that you definitely should lean on someone with experience uh to assist you but um you 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 don't want to go then with the naive angle of it that it's going to be a get rich quick scheme because as as we can see it's a lot of moving parts involved in it You've also then, as an added layer onto that, you've got to make sure the liquidity provider you're dealing with is reputable because there have been cases over the last decade where liquidity providers have gone bust. Um, right. <laughs> so not a, you have just a multitude amount of layers of counterparty risk, whether it be your uh, technology providers that provide you with your client portal, whether it be your liquidity providers, uh, whether it be your own staff, uh, the company that you've set up offshore, uh, MetaQuotes, it's just all these moving parts that operationally, um, uh, you know, won't let you sleep at night, essentially. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and so, so, I mean, could, just to get my head around the liquidity provider thing, so the, so could you, if you had multiple liquidity providers, can you tap them all into Meta, 
MetaTrader so that it comes across as one price yes. fee? So How do you okay. do that? So there is a tool that PrimeXM use. Uh, PrimeXM is a bridge provider. And they have what's called an X-Core system. Now, just to uh, break it down, it does essentially that. So it's, in, uh, so it's all well and good showing zero spread, but the matter is execution. Um, you know, even though you're showing me zero spread, when I trade, I'm going to actually get executed at a, at a wider spread. So um, you've got to be transparent there. But if you wanted to um, price in symbols from different liquidity providers, you'd use what's called an X-Core system, and you'd configure on the back end with the bridge provider. Um, you know, say you wanted to take euro dollar from LP1 and pound dollar from LP2, you can customize your own uh, pricing feed to do that. But the important thing is if you're a book and your clients are trading on pound dollar uh, and euro dollar, you've got to have enough margin at both liquidity provider accounts as a broker to ensure that your trades execute there as well. Now, how to find out your margin ratio and what's proportionate, just as a benchmark figure, say you've got a million dollars in client equity. So total number of client funds and deposits is a million dollars. Um, You've got to have a one for one at the at the minimum at with your LPs. So you've got to be able to you you have to park that your client funds with your liquidity providers. As a business, that means then how do you make your money? Well, you've got your cost from your liquidity providers, which say was four dollars per lot as an average. You're charging your clients ten dollars a lot as an example. So your end profit is six US dollars per lot. So as your commission, and then you've got to have a daily, depending on what re regulator you're with or how your company is set up, you've got to have some sort of daily report. Um, uh, uh, the FCA, for example, under ESMA, uh, have reporting requirements that every day you need to report your client balances. So you need a, an export of all your client balances. Uh, you need a balance at your LP account, and then basically your LP account minus your client balance account is how much revenue you've made on the day. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, so, so, so it, it is complicated. And, and yeah. um, in terms of like the, uh, what, uh, in terms of Black Bull, so I know you yeah. guys have got, it would just been awarded actually, because I've done yeah. an ad for you. Uh, <laughs> fast, fastest execution speeds yeah. uh, in the world if, for, for any broker in the world, voted at the Dubai Expo, I think it was, yeah. and, and maybe a few other places. What what does it take to get, I mean, I suppose how, I don't know if you're allowed to say, but how is yeah. Black Bull set up in terms of liquidity oh. providers and, um, you know, are they using multiple? Is it just one? Yeah. And how do you get your price feed yeah. sort of appearing that's a good question so so okay firstly to the execution speed part how do you achieve fast execution speeds well you need to have data centers set up so during your metaquotes application just as the setup example you've got to choose where what what data center you want to set up at now there are three major data centers around the world there's new york there's london uh and there's uh tokyo um, there's also uh, tier two ones, which I would say, which are also pretty good. Hong Kong, uh, Singapore. Um, now those just, uh, uh, as an example, an NY4 in New York and LD4 in London, they are like the actual architecture of the buildings. They're like Fort Knox. You cannot go in there. I've, I've, um, actually 
been outside the building and it's like a prison. Essentially, you just can't go in and it's very difficult. I'm sure it's like a maze inside, but essentially that's where all the servers for the financial services industries are based. Um, you know, if you were, a, 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 you know, a subject to a terrorist attack or, or, or something happened, if anything should happen to those places, I mean, you have a dire consequence in the yeah. financial markets. Essentially, that's where all your banks hold their data. Um, you know, and, and as a broker, you would hire a, a, a you know, a, unless you've got your own server, you'd hire a server there. Now, it gets as complex as where you're located in that server room and how you're connected with your liquidity provider server. So, for example, if we're facing banks like JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs and they're in X server room, you you want your server to be as close to theirs as possible and connected by a copper wire like that's right. essentially how you achieve the best execution now as a client on the client facing side um uh you want you want to also have a vps that's based in that data center so you've got two layers to it you've got um the trade flow client places a trade then the broker has to execute that trade to the lp uh, or to the like, multiple liquidity providers, and they've got to receive the trade back to the broker, which then goes back to the client. So there's that whole flow system. And through that flow system, uh, the broker to the LP is the uh, that strength of that execution speed or the, the, the rapidness of that is what determines how fast, far away you are from your LP or not. Um, now, throughout all this you have market makers who would who could offer you instant absolutely instant execution um so another true telling sign of uh, an a book broker is that there is always an inherent amount of latency because of that flow client has to place a trade from their location it goes to the broker the broker has to execute it uh, the execution party then sends the message back to the broker and the broker sends it back to the client terminal so throughout that whole process, that's what you're measuring your execution up against. Well, so what, what about like if for, for clients who trade on like a demo server, yeah, and then copy their trades across the live servers? I mean, how how does that how how do you see that sort of impacting uh, their yeah. execution based on latency and all that sort of stuff? So generally, demos instant execution, which means the strategies you're running on demo won't necessarily execute at the same price as the live account um so it's always difficult to practice that because you're going to get differences in execution quality differences in pricing um yeah uh, we we haven't even touched upon this but um you've also got your demo server as well that you've got to set up uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, you want to be offering a demo environment so people can test your pricing um it's definitely quite quite a lot to the setup what, what, uh, what is the de yeah, yeah what is the demo sort of uh philosophy because it, you know you go to the, i've used demo accounts all over yeah. the place and everyone's got a, every broker seems to have a different philosophy like some give you like ample data to test on others give you like the last few months um, again that so that that actually depends on your server capacity right. um so which again is a cost to the business and you've got load charges on that as well now just as an ex example um we have limited server capacity on the 
demo. Uh, but if we wanted more, we would have to buy a new server, which is probably about uh, sixty to eighty thousand dollars. In all, and and to the only advantage of that would be for us to uh, give more tick data. So data comes in by ticks, which is um, you know uh, a second. Every basically every new price you get is considered a tick and a tick could be a millisecond or a second i mean imagine storing all of that data for x amount period of time and then you've got your minute data you've got your five minute 15 half an hour hour four hour etc so you've got to store data for all those candlesticks and it gets quite heavy um uh, and and there are some brokers out there credit to them that can give you um, you know a four hour chart dating back to to the year 2000 or you know uh, an, a one hour chart dating back 10 years and and that's phenomenal um but it all depends on your data capacity so we would uh, uh, i wish we offered more but it's quite difficult to do that i think hopefully that people can understand why now yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. but uh, es essentially uh, it all depends on your data capacity but on demos uh, I mean, it would probably go back a couple of years with us uh, on on a on a one hour, and then maybe five years on a daily, and then uh, ten to fifteen years on a weekly. And, and would you host yeah. your demo at the same VPS? Uh, sorry, same server location and yes, uh, you know, Tokyo, Tokyo, New York, and exactly, London? yeah. So our yeah. MT five server is based in New York, and our uh, MT four server is based in um, London, and. We've also got a failover server in Tokyo. So you you also need to consider this. If your main servers go down, you have a failover server. And they could go down for any reason. Um, it, there are rare occurrences where your server has issues um, and you need to manually go in and reset it. You do it on, on uh, via a, a VPN, of course. But that process could lead to data outages too. So if you didn't have a failover server, I'm sure you can see online, uh, historically, clients have had issues where there's no pricing on brokers and they can't execute. And you're like, WTF. The reason <laughs> is, is that their server's probably gone down. Uh, right. It's either overloaded or it's not been reset in a while. Good practice is to reset your server every day at settlement time, which essentially is midnight uh, 0000 on your uh, server time. Right. Okay. So and that's, that's why, why that's why some of the servers don't work in that five minute period. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, Technically, your FX markets are closed during that time for five minutes while yep. they settle, but that's called settlement uh, time. So yeah. good, uh, good security IT practice is to reset your server every day, um, and the reason is to clear clear any uh, overloads. But the yeah. So uh, I mean. And what about that, just talking about that rollover? I mean, what about the yeah. high spread time that happens after that? I mean, can you explain that? that that's yeah. always intrigued me as to like why you get this massive high spread. Is it just yeah. because it's too easy to trade those opens? Or no, I mean, so what happens is banks actually pull their pricing from the liquidity pools. They stop. Oh. Uh, they so that widens your spread. So there's only a limited amount of parties that are actually pricing during that time. The reason they pull their pricing is because they need a period of time to settle. When I say settle, that means say you've had during that previous trading day, thousands of transactions in multiple different currency pairs, um, they need to settle at a price. So when they, for their reporting uh, and their PL requirements and their reporting requirements, uh, 
they've got to take one exchange rate, which is that last tick that you get at, at before the settlement time. That exchange rate is the one that they uh, take. And then they do the whole load of reporting uh, for the next five minutes, which mostly is automated. And then essentially their daily PL or their daily settlement statements are based on that last tick that they get. Uh, so if, say if they've had loads of, um, I know, yen traders and yen volume, they've got to settle that back into one base currency, which is generally US dollars if they're reporting in US dollars. So that's the reason that happens. Right. Um, uh, but, you know, that being said, if you trade during that time, that's why you'd get huge spread blowouts. It's very difficult to trade at that time. Some people have a whole strategy based at just trading at settlement time. Or, or right after it opens. And that's why also you get market gaps uh, sometimes on, uh, uh, on FX, especially after uh, the Monday open. Uh, but yeah, you get a whole bunch of uh, out of hours pr- trading. And, and have, you ever, have you ever had a, like, a, I mean, at Blackpool maybe, or just experience in general where the spreads widened significantly and it's not just a news event, it's just a random sort of like uncontrolled event yeah, where spreads gone, sure. gone up. 25 pips for no reason and what what would be the reason for or what would be the reason behind that generally they're fat fingers so um you you can see during order flows uh in the back end uh say even on a bloomberg terminal um uh or in the options market um you'd have a real uh abnormal unusual event and if you look at the execution logs on the trades going into the market, it's generally a fat finger. So, right. and it happens quite often. Um, it, you'd get an occurrence maybe once every couple of months where someone at a bank, instead of pushing, you know, 1 million, they pushed one, 1 billion, for example. Right. Okay. And that, and that happens a lot. So any unexpected volume or unexpected surge leads to that those big spikes you also get an element of insider trading as well so um that you know there are cases that uh, uh like nav saro uh, the hound of hounslow back in 2018 when he spoofed the s p 500 um so the, there are people set up with very sophisticated automated systems at low volume times to to trade so during periods of low volatility you can have someone like a nav saro who comes in and and spoofs the market what he did was he put 30 or forty thousand orders into the market to sell the s p 500 now those 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 never executed because he pulled them right at the last second but what happened was the market saw those uh, um orders coming in and automatically kicked everyone's algorithms to short the market. What he did, as soon as the market dropped, he bought it and made huge amounts of money. So that's called market spoofing. Right. Now, in he was e- ex yeah he was extradited to the to the US, and in order to get around his sentence, he's now working with the uh, SEC uh, to help them to fill in, uh, basically a white hacker. Fill right. in their fill in their fill in their plugs, as <laughs> as to as to prevent that in the future. Yeah. What was that? The, was that the one where it happened like the second of January or something, where 
the the price just dropped by. Uh, it, oh, no, it was S and P, wasn't it? Sorry, S and P. I was thinking it? of the forex ones where it dropped a thousand pips on like second of January, around about two thousand and eighteen. Right, and it was like out of nowhere, this humongous drop, yeah. thousand pips on a day that like everyone should be on holiday, uh, and. It was. I, I can't. Even, somebody in the comments, please let me know what the reason was. Um, now we're, we're going to sort of start wrapping things up here, yeah. Because uh, I think we've covered a lot. But one thing I did want to touch on was prop firms, and I know you're like broke apart party to uh, at least one prop firm. Yeah. H how does that sort of work for for you guys, and and what it, what's your sort of view on okay on that sort of stuff? So I mean, I guess considering everything we've spoken about, um, it is in summary quite difficult, quite expensive, time-consuming to set up a broker. So the prop firm space becomes quite interesting because you can kind of do a similar thing um, by offering a product uh, um, and, and having a server of your own, but at a very low-cost model. Um, there is definitely a huge amount of risk involved in it, depending on how you run your business, because... Um, you know, it could be as, as far as a stretch to say it's uh, almost a, uh, you're, you're, you're running as a pyramid scheme or a Ponzi scheme. Essentially, you know, you could choose that model or you can be on the safe side. But uh, we have seen, of course, an exponential rise in the number of prop firms coming out. It's the new craze. Um, wherever there's a, a little space to make money, people will find it. People will flock to it. Um, but, uh, as we've seen with my Forex funds recently, um, they, in their report, um, uh, have now highlighted prop firms as, um, being, you know, requiring regulation essentially. And, uh, uh, because I believe my Forex funds were taking us and Canadian clients, and that is a very gray space to be in especially if you're a prop firm and you're essentially providing brokerage services. Mm. Um, and they had $455 million seized, uh, but just shows you how much capital they had in such a short space of time. And that's most more than most brokers would have on their balance sheets uh, who have been around for decades. So it's definitely quite a lucrative space for a business. But um uh, I personally think that uh, around the world, you you probably start getting more regulation in place for that space. Um, the SEC or the US regulators are generally first movers. Whatever they set will be precedent for everyone else, and then it could move into you know people starting to regulate uh, or, or incorporate offshore. Um, it will be interesting to see how how it evolves as a business, um, but. You know, for me, I've personally seen on the client side a lot more people interested in taking up these challenges rather than going on a demo account, for example. They much rather spend a couple of hundred dollars to trade on a high value account because you've actually got an emotional, more of an emotional attachment to it. You're able to practice psychology a bit better um, and you can operate within a set. Uh, limits um, and that's always you know to create good discipline as a trader to create more confidence uh, and build a strategy uh, that is essentially what you want to be doing is so what the prop firms are actually inadvertently doing is creating good trader habits uh, for a whole new generation of traders uh, which i hope personally helps to create and, and evolve 
the trader mindset and creates a generation of more traders that are risk managed, know how to uh, use margin, trade size, etc. So I hope it's a, a good uh, uh, rather than an evil. And uh, I do feel, though, you will see a lot more prop up. You will see a lot more go down because they don't know how to manage their business or they don't have enough capital um, and they won't pay out. Um, but so you've got to be very careful with who you deal with. So, so what about like a, I mean, like, so you're partnered up with one prop firm. I mean, yeah. without like getting you a barrage of, of people coming up to you and saying, oh, cool, can we partner with Blackpool then? Yeah. I mean, what's the, what's your sort of, uh, I suppose, ethos around that in terms of like, do you want to get into the space or, yeah. or, and if, if, if people or, you know, prop firms are coming to you saying, well, we want to add Black Bull on, what's yeah. the, what's the thinking on your, from your point of view? I mean, on our side, we've got to really do due diligence on the company because um, we've got to make sure that whoever works with us um, uh, essentially uh, has an element of carrying our brand reputation. So we've got to make sure they have a, a sound risk dealing model. Uh, a, a risk management model so um they've got to have some sort of experience in the industry uh, it can't be you know any tom dick and harry has just decided to set up a prop firm and um and continue in the and 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 offer challenge accounts and it's quite a lot of risk involved there they've got to understand somewhat about the it and security space and the meta trader uh, uh space as well so we are definitely do due diligence, not only on the company, but the people that are involved in in that. Right. So it's quite it's quite significant in terms of like, you know, you, you're not just going to give it to any any Tom, Dick and Harry yeah. who wants to wants to add you as a broker, which which makes sense. Now, look, um, Anish, what, what haven't I asked you today that you think I should have and you want to touch oh, on before we wrap up here? I think we've definitely covered quite a lot. Um, there's. There's there's so much more that we can go into as much detail on on each specific topic, but I think headline, if you are looking to start up your own broker, um, there is of course a light at the end of the tunnel, and brokers can quickly grow. Um, so there is, you know, it's not all uh, it's not all gloom and doom. There there is a, a business case for it, but it, you would definitely need to trust the right people. I think uh, even in that whole set up your own broker space online and the service providers you can deal with, there are a lot of people that have um, agendas um, that charge you an arm and a leg. Uh, you'd have to be very, very careful of who you deal with at the beginning. So I just, I guess, want to let people know that um, uh hopefully you can see i'm quite transparent and um i'm happy to answer any questions personally that that you might have if you're looking to set up your own broker um you've definitely number one question is is it right for you do you have the budget for it and um are you prepared to give it your all because it is a 24-hour business you've really got to put your whole heart and soul into uh, getting it set up and um uh, but but I hope that there are new players in the game because you don't want to get to a space where you almost have what an oligopoly are uh, in the in this industry. You want to keep it competitive. Uh, you want to keep brokers held accountable. Um, you want to be as a client uh, having the ability to to spread your money around different brokers or have different options. 
So, um, yeah, I hope there are still new incumbents into this industry and, um, I guess, um, be careful who you deal with. That's my <laughs> final message on that. Well, look, it's been absolutely brilliant. And then what I do suggest is, uh, if you are listening to this on the podcast, jump over to the YouTube video and, and add your questions in the comments below and we'll see if we can get an sure. answer them there just to save people emailing them direct. You can answer all the questions in one place. So please drop a, drop a comment below the video and uh, we'll, we'll get them to ask, answer the questions there. So look, Anish, thank you very much for coming on. Um, really insightful. I mean, I've learned a ton of stuff here and I hope the guys listening have learned as well. I mean, if, the, if people are looking to jump on board with Black Bull, what's the best way for them to go about that? Yep. So I would suggest clicking the link in the description below. Um, you'd also now get a benefit of having a, um, as an incentive, a hundred percent deposit bonus on your first deposit up to a thousand dollars, uh, with the link below, uh, it's a special deal on the trading nut challenge. So that's the best way to go about it. Cool. And, and guys, you do actually, uh, there are 10 merch packs to give away if you uh, sign up before the end of the year. So if you do want to get like a, a merch pack, I'm guessing the caps in there and there's a trader keys as well, which I've, I've got behind me somewhere. Um, yeah. And yeah, that, that that's there as well. So if you do sign up, you've got to use that link below the video. But folks, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll see you in the next one. Tired of missing trades or spending hours at the charts? Introducing my Robot Builders Club. With our platform, you can build bots in minutes, not weeks, without any coding required. Get lifetime access to my video course, VIP community, and over 40 ready-made robots. Works with MT4 or MT5. And as a bonus, you'll get three months access to my robot lab, where we build and test bots on live calls every week. Join the hundreds of traders who are trading smarter not harder click the link in the description to learn more get the free training and download a free robot all right folks there you have an interview done and dusted with a niche now do remember you can get your hands on that trader keys and the merch pack if you sign up with blackball using the link below uh before the end of the year so you've got to do it before the end of 2023 they've also got that 100 deposit bonus offer going on for trading that listeners exclusively and also the uh there's a trading view offer as well so go and check them out over there uh, at blackball markets using that link below because that is how you connect to all these exclusive offers now last but not least we've got the mystery trader in the telegram go and check it out he's having a great winning streak at the moment uh, we've also got the uh live streamers hitting the london and new york sessions go and check them out and if you're looking to automate anything then check out my robot builders club we're doing tons of cool stuff over there as well all right folks enough from me you have a great trading week and we'll see you in the next episode.